Praise the Lord, church. Thank God for his faithfulness. Amen. What a faithful God we serve. Welcome to church, everybody. It is so good to see all of you in God's house. We want to take a moment and welcome all of our locations, our television and online audience as well. Everybody ready for God to speak a word to them today? Amen. Amen. So many good things are happening at the church before we get into the word. Let me remind you of a couple of things. Tomorrow night, Brother Jesse Duplantis is going to be with us. And I want everybody to be here. Listen, um, sometimes people in God's house will say, Pastor, we want revival. We want to see revival. And you know what the test of revival is? Can you come to church two days in a row? If you can't come to church two days in a row, don't even walk up to me saying, Pastor, we want revival. Revival cannot happen unless the people of God are willing to press into the presence of God and get uncomfortable sometimes, okay? So tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, we have another service. Now, if you've never experienced the ministry of, of Jesse DePlantis, I want to encourage you. What happens to your faith is it, it goes to a higher level. He will. Last year, I went to the visionary conference that he has every year. And I came back, my faith was so ignited. I started believing God for some bigger things, some things that seemed impossible. One of the things I believed God for is I said, God, we need to have an increase of um, at least $100,000 extra every single month above and beyond our expenses so we could do what you've called us to do. And to the glory of God, we are about 90% of the way there. Isn't that amazing? In, in, just, in just that amount of time, because God is faithful. But that was dropped in my spirit at Visionary Conference, and I was my faith just soared because um, when somebody, the Bible says, follow them who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. And when you get around people who are like that, and you get a, you, you partake of what is on their life, it spills over into your life. And so I want to encourage you tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, be here for um, that uh, meeting with Brother Jesse DePlanish. Your faith is going to soar. Then secondly, you've been hearing about Good News Danbury. Um, there are five ministry gifts to the body of Christ, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, and apostles, okay? Um, five ministry gifts to the body of Christ. I'm five. No, I'm just... <laughs> um, but the reason there's five is because they're all meant so the church could be everything God's designed it to be. Pastor or evangelist Wesley Agre is an evangelist. His job is to go out and get people saved. But after they get saved, he's got to put them in the house of God somewhere so that they can begin to mature and grow in their relationship with the Lord. So he said, Pastor, I want to do a meeting in Danbury. I want to preach the gospel, get people saved. And I want all the people that get saved to be able to come to your church. And so will you partner with us? So we reached out. We're partnering with them. We need some more volunteers. There's a table as soon as you go out into the foyer. Where's Ben? Is Ben here right now? There's Ben Stanley right there. Good-looking guy. His muscles aren't quite as big as mine, but yeah. anyway, um, he works out a lot, by the way. Um, go see him after service. He'll be at the table. Sign up to help. Even if you could help for just one day, we'd appreciate it. We want to make sure that that meeting is covered with all the volunteers that are needed so that when people get saved, we can get them assimilated into God's house here at Faith Church. And so please help us with that. And then also, lastly, we just finished our renovation of the cafeteria. And so go check it out. 
Um, it's beautiful. We just upgraded everything. It's got a new floor, and we upgraded all of the screens and the equipment and everything like that because our Spanish ministry is growing. So we reconfigured a couple things so that they can have up to 200 people meet in that room, which is really fantastic. And so peek in on it. God is doing great things. Our Spanish ministry is growing. Our Brazilian ministry is growing. Our, our youth ministry is growing. So our next phase is kind of to make the youth room reconfigured a little bit so we can add another 150 seats to that. And then later on this year, I'm going to share with you, we've been talking to some architects and things like that. We're going to put a second story on the school. We're going to put a balcony in this auditorium right here. We're going to change the whole front facade so that there are outdoor meeting spaces and stuff like that. Everybody excited about that? Good. You know why? Because you all are going to pay for it. Praise the Lord. We are excited about it. Are you still excited? Praise the Lord. Amen. God is good. We are in... We are in a season of harvest and growth. Even though we are in a summer season, we are still experiencing quite good attendance. But I don't know if you noticed, between January and Easter, we had no room in our second service already. And that's our growth season. And so we expect that God is going to continue to pour out his blessing. People will be added to the body of Christ such as the Lord would have them and be saved. And so we want to get ahead of the curve and make sure that we are ready for the harvest that God is bringing in. Amen. Do you have your Bible? Amen. Would you take it out? If you need a Bible, the ushers will get them to you. Let's hold it up nice and high and let's all make this statement of faith together. Ready, go. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen. As you remain standing in honor of God's word, would you go with me to Mark chapter number four? Mark chapter number four. I'm going to begin in verse number 35. The Bible says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat, even as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful and how is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Chapter number five, verse one says, then they came to the other side of the sea. Today, as we continue in our series, He Amazes Me, I want to minister to you from the subject, You Will Make It to the Other Side. Amen. How many is going to make it to the other side? How many knows what you're going through right now is not your final destination? That no matter what comes against you in life, when Jesus is in your boat, you're going to get to the other side. Amen. Come on, let's prophetically declare that over our lives right now. Say it out loud with me. I'm going to the other side. Say it again. I'm going to the other side. 
Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your miracle working power. Thank you for your precious and wonderful word. Thank you that it contains life to every hearer. Father, we pray that the word of God would transform us in every way into the image of Christ. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. As we come to our text, we find a couple of uh, truths that become the backdrop for what we want to talk about. The first truth is the devil is always looking for a way in. How many of you know that he's always looking for a way in in, our, in your life? The Bible tells us to be sober, be vigilant, because our adversary, the devil, roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's always looking for a way in in our lives, an opportunity, an avenue. He wants to come to steal, to kill, and to destroy in our lives. And we're told to not give him any place. Matter of fact, um, as we come to our text, we find this is exactly what is going on in this story. In another place of scripture, Luke chapter 4, verse number 13, talking of the temptation of Jesus, it said, when the devil had finished every temptation, he temporarily left him for a more opportune time. He was looking for an opportunity to get in, even in the life of Jesus. And as Jesus and his disciples enter into the ship to cross over to the other side, we find the enemy looking for an opportunity. Matter of fact, the Bible says on the same day, they took Jesus even as he was into the ship. And so the question begs to be asked, what was happening on that day? Well, first of all, Jesus is accused of being possessed by a devil. If they talked about Jesus, it's okay if they talk about you. Don't worry about it when people say things about you. If they're not true, they're not true. Just keep it moving. They said stuff about Jesus. They said that he was possessed of a devil. They said that the reason why he was able to cast out demons is because he had demonic power. To which Jesus said, if I cast out the devil by the power of the devil, I'm a kingdom divided against myself and I cannot stand. In other words, if I'm both the cause and the the the, the answer to a particular situation, I'm working against myself. I can't stand. But yet there are schools of theology that will tell you that Jesus sends sickness into your life, but then those same people will believe God for healing. Well, if God is both the cause and the solution, he's working against himself. A kingdom cannot stand. God is not both the author of bad and the causer of good. God can only be on one side of the equation. Otherwise, he is a kingdom working against himself. And so Jesus is accused of casting out demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. And as a result of that, his, his family, his mother, his sisters, his brothers, they hear about this and guess what? They believe it. And they go to try to rescue Jesus. It, it, hurts when, when it, it hurts when people who are supposed to know you believe bad things about you, isn't it? They don't give you the benefit of the doubt. They should be the ones who come to your defense, but sometimes they don't. And his family comes and they try to rescue him and they try to talk him out of things and so on and so forth. And while all this is going on, Jesus has just gotten finished preaching an eight-hour or longer sermon. The longest sermon Jesus ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount. 
And I love when people say, well, pastor, I mean, I wish I could have been underneath the ministry of Jesus, you know. I wish Jesus would be our guest speaker one day. And that, How many of you know, if Jesus came in here to do a service, service is not going to be over in an hour and a half, okay? You're going to have to skip your lunch. You're going to have to skip your sports events. You're going to have to skip all that. Jesus comes. Jesus is going to be done when Jesus is done. He preached an eight-hour sermon one time. And he's doing this, uh, when you're preaching all that, eight hours, and while Jesus is preaching signs and wonders of following, people are coming who are diseased and demon-possessed, and he's casting out devils, and he's healing the blind and the lame and the halt and the withered, and he's doing all of these miracles. And so by the time this day is coming to a close, on the same day, Jesus is exhausted. He is totally spent. And so he says to the disciples, let's go over to the other side. And they took him even as he was into the ship. Well, how was he? He was exhausted. So what do we find him doing? We find him asleep on a pillow. Why? Because he's tired. How many of you know that we ought to get tired every now and again for Jesus? I love the saints of God. You know, I really do love the saints of God, right? I love the saints of God. I mean, I'm a pastor. I love the sheep, so on and so forth. But it's amazing to me how sheep are like, well, you know, pastor, sorry I wasn't in church. I was just tired. You know, pastor, I I would serve, but, you know, I got so much going on in the week. You know, I'm just tired. We ought to get tired for Jesus. We get tired for everything else. Everything else in life we get tired for, we spend for, we we work around the clock. How about we do a little work for Jesus, amen? How about we put our hand to the plow and start doing some things for Jesus? Jesus was tired because he was ministering to people. And they took him in the ship even as he was. And while Jesus is sleeping, a storm comes out of nowhere. Now you have to understand, it didn't look like there was going to be a storm because if it did, the disciples, especially those that were fishermen, by the way, not every disciple was a fisherman. You know that, right? Because a lot of times when we talk about the disciples, we want to make them all look ignorant and all look dumb and everything else. So we say, well, they were all fishermen, right? Some of them were doctors. Some of them were lawyers. Some of them were tax collectors. These were not just all idiots, by the way, okay? Because a lot of times when we think of Jesus, we think Jesus was like a homeless guy, you know, that walked around, never showered a lot, and he had a ragtag bunch of people all around him. That was not the case. And so they, some of them were fishermen, masters of the sea. And so if it was going to storm, they would have known there was going to be a storm. They would have read the sky, so on and so forth. And they would have said, let's wait just a little while. Let's let the storm pass. But everything looked cool. And so they got in the boat. Jesus goes to sleep. And out of nowhere, here comes a storm. And the Bible literally says it's a windstorm. And if you read it in the original language, it actually says turbulence in the atmosphere. Turbulence in the atmosphere that causes waves to beat into the ship. And the word beating into the ship here describes not a force, but rather an individual or an entity that is literally trying to break the ship apart with something that came out of nowhere. And so when you put that all together, we understand that this was a demonic attack against Jesus to stop Jesus from doing what Jesus said he was going to do, which was to get to the other side. Now, why was Jesus going to the other side? Well, he was going there because there was a madman on the other side who was possessed with a legion of demons. 
And he was controlling the whole region. And everybody in the area was living in fear because of this particular man. So Jesus was on his way to go free this man and free the entire region. And Satan knew he was about to lose ground. And so what he does is he sends a storm to stop Jesus from kicking him out of a territory or a region. But notice when he does it, when Jesus is asleep. How many of you ever have that happen in your life? When you're spiritually alert, the devil can't whip you. When you're spiritually in tune, the devil can't do anything to you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. All of his attempts against your life will not work. So, but he doesn't, he doesn't attack you when you're spiritually high. He wakes for those openings in your life. You know, you're drained. You're busy. You just had an argument with your spouse. You know, you just realized there was too much month at the end of the money. You know, whatever it may be. All these, and then a boom, here he comes into your life. Trying to attack you. Somebody says something cross to you. You're feeling some kind of way. All of a sudden, the enemy pounces on those things. He looks for openings in your emotions and openings in your life and openings in all these things to come in and to attack you. And so he waits for Jesus to be sleeping. He doesn't fight fair. He knows that if he fights fair, he loses every single time. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. He is no match for us when we are endued with the power of God from on high. So he waits for those openings and he comes in to attack. He's always looking for a way in. But what I love about this text is that Jesus actually picked a fight with him. Jesus said, let's go over to the other side. The enemy would have been content if Jesus would have stayed where he was. The enemy was like, okay, you got, you got that air. You got Caper- Capernaum is yours. But don't, you, don't cross the Sea of Galilee because Gadara is mine. Right? And Jesus said, you know what he said? He said, let's go over to the other side. How many of you know, sometimes you got to pick a fight with the devil. See, so many of y'all are afraid of the enemy. You're afraid, trying to avoid the enemy and this and that, the enemy. That. Sometimes you got to pick a fight. When the enemy is occupying space and authority in different areas of your life or arenas in your life, you got to pick a fight, you know. It's time that we start picking a fight with the enemy over our schools. It's time we start picking a fight with the enemy over all this mess that he's creating in culture and let him know that we're not going to just sit by and say nothing and do nothing. We're going to pick a fight. Not with people, by the way. People are precious. But if somebody stands in the way, they become carnage. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying. Jesus went to pick a fight. The enemy started looking for a way in. But then the second thing I want you to see is not only does the enemy always try to find a way in, but Jesus always provides a way out. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. I was going to save this for the end of the message because it was the last thing that I read. But I realized that it's easy for us to be happy about getting to the other side when we arrive there. It's a whole other thing for us to declare over our life in the middle of the storms of life that we are not staying stuck in the storm, but we are getting to the other side. And so I I put this in at the beginning so that you could be a little like David and encourage yourself in the Lord and declare over your life. How many of you know that where the word of a king is, there is power? And some of you need to begin to declare in the middle of your situation what is going to happen to you instead of what is happening to you. Jesus always provides a way 
out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will always provide a way of escape that you can endure it. The Lord just spoke to me. and He said this, When you're going through something, you ought to be doing like this. What you doing? I'm looking for the way out. Why? Because God said he'd give you a way out. So many people get stuck in their circumstance. Start whining. I'm not saying circumstances aren't complicated and difficult and hard, but there's no sense of getting consumed with the circumstances. Lift up your eyes from whence your help comes from. Lift up your eyes to the hills, and there you'll find the King of glory. Who is that King of glory? His name is Jesus. Sometimes you've got to look up from your situation. God said he's going to make a way of escape. Matter of fact, I believe that one of the keys in life is to always look for the good. Why? And we know that God works all things together for the what? For the good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so in the middle of every bad situation, my eyes ought not to be on the bad. It ought to be on the good that God is sending my way because goodness and mercy do what? They follow us all the days of our life. Jesus went about doing good and healing all those who are oppressed of the devil for God was with him. And if all that is true, couple that with the fact that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That means in every storm, I ought to look for the good. God, what what good do you want to do? Why? Because God always provides a way of escape. So how do I get to the other side? How How do I cross over? How do I make it through every storm? Number one, rest in God's direction. The same day, When evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Remember whose idea it was to go to the other side. It was Jesus' idea. This was his directive. And his disciples forgot all about that. They forgot that if Jesus said it, if Jesus asked it, if Jesus gave the directive, that he's already provided or mapped out a course for them to arrive at their destination. But because they forgot this, they panicked. Because they forgot it, they were overcome with fear. They thought it was their end. But what would have happened if they would have said, well, Jesus said we're going to the other side. Do you know they were around Jesus for long enough to know nothing Jesus ever said didn't happen? I mean, it wasn't like they were watching this guy, and this guy was like healing people, and he was like, all right, sorry, you know, maybe next time. Everything that Jesus spoke was coming to pass. You would think that one of them would have said, well, Jesus said we're going to the other side, and so this storm must not have taken him by surprise. Even though we didn't know the storm was coming, I bet you he knew the storm was coming, and I bet you the reason why he wasn't afraid of the storm was because he knew that his steps were ordered of the Lord. See, when you realize that when God gives you a directive, if you are following the directive of God, every step that you take is ordered and ordained by God. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean if you're a believer, everything you do is ordained by God. Because if it meant that, that it would mean every time you sin, that was ordained by God. And some people get this all confused. They think they, as a believer, they can make any choices they want, do anything they want to do, and that they're being ordained by God. 
That's not what it means. The contemporary English version says this. If you do what the Lord wants, he will make certain each step you take is sure. If you do what the Lord wants, who wanted to go to the other side? Jesus. If you do what the Lord wants, he will make certain that each step you take is sure. Jesus requested it. The disciples forgot it. Jesus knew it. The disciples panicked. Jesus went to sleep in peace. The difference when you know you're in the will of God and when you don't know you're in the will of God is those that understand they're in the will of God have peace in storms. Those that are not in the will of God are afraid in storms. When you know you're doing what God said, you will arrive on the other side. That's why it is so important for us to seek the Lord, not in some things, but in all things. God, is this what you want me to do? God, is this the direction that you're giving me in my life? God, is this where you want me to go? Is this how you want me to respond? Seek the Lord. And when you seek the Lord, the Bible says he will be found. He will give you direction and you will have peace. And make it to the other side. Number two, be grateful for the little things. Notice the next part of the text says, Now that when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now, most of us would just read past this, and there were other little boats with him. Because most of us are really not concerned what has happened to somebody else in their boat. We're consumed with what is happening to us in our boat. And so because of that, when we read this text, we skip right over the fact that there were other little boats. But I like that because it describes the other boats as small. That's what little means, by the way. And the reason why this is important is because it wouldn't say the other boats were little if they were the same size as the boat that the disciples were in. And so we know the disciples' boat was bigger than every other boat that was with them. Now, why is this important? Because if I'm going through a sea storm, guess what kind of boat I want to be on? A big boat. I don't want to be on a little boat when I'm going through a sea storm. I want to find the fact that I can be thankful for the big boat even though I'm going through the storm. How many of you know when you're going through big storms, you have to be grateful for little things? Because what happens when you're going through big storms and you're faithful to little things, then your faith will go to a whole new level. And so many times in our lives, when we're going through big storms, we forget to count the blessings in our lives. And we, 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 we review our lives when we're going through storms as though they are cursed in every way. Oh, bad things always happen to me, Pastor. Ah, uh, you know, when it pours, it rains. I don't know what it is. Just make it end, you know. And you know what that is? That is a perspective issue. Because even if Four things go wrong in the day. Let's say you wake up, you turn on the water, and the water don't go on. Let's say you go over to turn on the light, the light don't go on. Let's say you go over to use the microwave, the microwave don't go on. Let's say you go over to use the dishwasher, the dishwasher don't, don't go on. Four things. Most people are like, oh, my God, this is so much. How about the fact you got out of bed? How about the fact that you had clothes? 
How about the fact that even though you couldn't use the microwave, you probably, probably still ate something. That, I mean, how about the fact that you had a car? How about the fact that there were probably people around you that day when you got up in the morning? There's always something to be grateful for. And what happens to us is we let the big things steal our remembrance of all of the little blessings that we have. And as a result, our faith sinks. Could you imagine if they would have said, look at those poor people in that little boat. We got a big boat right here. They're tipping over we're staying afloat because we got a big boat the bible says in first thessalonians 5 18 in everything give thanks for this is the will of god in christ jesus for you notice it doesn't say for everything you don't go god i thank you the microwave is broken today god i thank you the dishwasher won't work and here's how stupid people are. god i thank you for this sickness god i thank you that i'm broke God, I thank you for this tragedy. God's going, what are you thanking me for? I had nothing to do with all that stuff. I'm not the one who's causing the bad. I'm the one who's bringing the good. Don't thank me for it. Thank me in it. God, despite the fact that this is happening, I want to thank you for this blessing. And I want to thank you for that blessing. And I want to thank you that you're the God that answers prayer. And I want to thank you that you always provide a way of escape. And I want to thank you that I'm going to the other side in everything, not for everything. That's how you get to the other side. Number three, remember Jesus is in your boat. Look at this. And the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. Of all the boats, Jesus was in their boat. You ought to thank God that you don't have to go through stuff the same way the world has to go through stuff. The world mourns in a way that we don't mourn. We mourn with hope. We have a hope. We have an everlasting hope. We have a hope in Jesus. We don't have to worry the way the world worries. We don't have to be full of anxiety the way the world is full of anxiety. Why? We serve God. We serve Jesus. We serve the king of the universe. Jesus is in our boat. Jesus is in our lives. Jesus lives in our heart. We need to be thankful. Jesus is in our boat. What does that mean? It means if your boat takes on water, it ain't going under. It means if your boat begins to get beat with waves, it ain't going to flip. It means that your boat, even though it might be under attack, is still going to get to the other side. It means that though a weapon may be formed against you, it will not prosper. You've got to remember, Jesus is in your boat. Now, why does he put this in here? Because what happens when we see a storm? We think the presence of a storm means the absence of God. And so Jesus was in where? The stern of the ship. I literally believe he was in the lower part of the ship. And here's why. If he was on the deck and there was water coming in, it wouldn't have scared him, but it would have woke him. Because if you don't believe me, if you're kind of married or something, you have kids, take a bucket of water while they're sleeping and just throw it on them. It'll be fun. Just try it out anyway. Right? And see if that won't wake them up, right? So if Jesus was in the part of the ship that was on the deck and the water was coming over, it would have woke him up. But it didn't wake him up. They had to go wake Jesus up. And so the reason why I think this is put in there like that is so that we would know that even when Jesus is out of sight, it doesn't mean that he's not there. 
Because here's what happens in our lives. We think the presence of a storm means the absence of God. We think that if we're going through something that God is not with us. That We think that if we're experiencing a hardship that God has abandoned us. We think that if we're going through something that is uncomfortable that somehow God doesn't care about us. But God wants us to know that even though that boat was going through a storm, Jesus was there. What does the scripture say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Every step of the way, God is with us. Every part of the journey, God is with us. We ought to have confidence that God is with us. Don't forget, Jesus is in your boat. But then notice, if you're going to get to the other side, you need to lean into God's love. The disciples, they get confused by the storm. Storms disorient us. Storms, they, they, they turn our faith upside down if we allow them to. The disciples are confused and they run to Jesus and they say, don't you care that we perish? What a question to ask God. Have you ever asked God the question? Don't lie to me like that. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. God, don't you care? What a question. Here's what Jesus did. He left heaven, laid aside his deity, took on our humanity, walked in our shoes, subjected himself to our sin, died in our place, was beaten and whipped on a cruel cross, took the weight of our sin on his shoulders so that you and I could have and be freed from sin and have eternal life. And we have the audacity to ask God, do you care? It's sort of like the kids. You know, you have kids, and uh, they'll say this from every time to time. There's nothing to eat in this house. Seriously? There's nothing to eat in the house. Most people have enough food when there's nothing to eat to last three months. The pantry is stocked. You know, the refrigerator's got stuff. It may not be the stuff you want to eat. Because what the kids really mean is, where's the cereal I like? Right? They're like, we got, it's like, are you serious? We got nothing to eat? How ungrateful that I put food on that table 24-7 your entire life. You're asking me, why there ain't no food in the house? Seriously? Really? God, don't you care? If I was God, I'm going to smack you upside your head right now. Don't you care? But the disciples asked Jesus that. And you know what's amazing about this? Jesus doesn't blink. He doesn't go, I'm going back to sleep if you're going to feel like that. The Bible says he gets up from a dead sleep, by the way. Don't let me wake Jesus. He gets up from a dead sleep. And he calms the storm with three words, peace, be still. In other words, despite their feeling about him, he does it anyway. I don't know if I could get maybe three, four people in here to thank God for when he's done it anyway. Even when you question how much he cared. Even when you shook your fist in his face. Even when you had the audacity to think that the God that left heaven and took his sin, your sin and my sin, in his life, he did it anyway. My God. Thank God for him doing it anyway. Jesus calms the storm. He looks at him and he goes, he goes, uh, how is it that you're so fearful? 
Why is it that you have no faith? Now, I used to teach that the reason, by the way, even sometimes I can make a mistake. Very rare, but it happens sometimes. I used to teach. I'm playing with you all. Relax. Okay, relax. I used to teach that the reason why Jesus said this was because he expected them to rise up in their own authority and calm the storm themselves. Now, don't, don't get it twisted. We have authority like that. The Bible says we have authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm us. So we have authority to command the enemy to stop doing what he's doing in the name of Jesus, and he has to obey us. But can I tell you something? You you better make sure you're in Christ when you use the authority of Christ. Otherwise, the enemy might whoop you. You remember the sons of Shiva in the Bible? In Acts, uh, the apostle Paul went around and he was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And these people who had no relationship with Christ, they looked at it, they said, well, if he could do that, we could do that. And he said to demons, in the name of Jesus, come out. You know what the demons did? They jumped on the man and pantsed him. <laughs> pantsed him. That's what the Bible says. You know what pantsing is? Remember when you were a kid, everybody would be joking with one another. Somebody would be sitting there with sweatpants and you kind of go up behind him and you'd be like... You pulled up. You remember that when you were a kid? That's what the demons did to these jokers that thought that they had power because they weren't in Christ. How many of you know if you want to flow in the power of God, you've got to be connected to the source of the power? Because if you try to do it in your own power, the enemy's gonna pants you. Not literally, but you all know what I mean, right? And so I used to teach. I used to teach that Jesus got upset because they didn't walk in their power. Now, we have that kind of power, but I don't believe that's what this is really teaching us. When Jesus says, how is it that you have no faith? It was after they said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? In other words, Jesus was like, you've been with me. You saw everything that I've done. You saw how much I do care. You understand what my mission is all about, at least in part. And you're at, how is it that you don't have more faith in me? How is it that you doubt my care and my love for you? See, what to God that you and I would know God so well that in the middle of the storms of life, we would give God the benefit of the doubt that it wasn't that God was abandoning us, but it's that God was preparing something for us. But we don't know God like we ought to know God. And so we think the worst of God instead of believing the best of God. How is it that you have no faith? Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter number. And by the way, he wasn't upset because they woke him up because we're supposed to wake up Jesus, so to speak. What do I mean by that? We're supposed to go to him in prayer. Right? The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with your thanks, with thanksgiving, make your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and mind. Let your request be made known unto God. We used to sing a song. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. So it's not that Jesus was upset that they asked him to intervene. Jesus was upset that they didn't have faith 
in him. How is it that you have no faith in me? Listen to what Jesus said in Mark chapter 11. He said, have faith in God. Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things which he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, with things, whoever you ask in prayer, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Notice the first statement, have faith in God. We think we have to have faith in moving a mountain. We think we have to have faith in overcoming a sickness. We think we have to have faith for financial increase. We don't need faith for any one of those things. We need faith in God. We need faith in the one who is the healer. We need faith in the one who is the provider. We need faith in the one who is the mountain mover. We need faith in the one who can split the sea. We need faith in the one who slays the giants. We need faith in him. He's the one that does all of those things. And our faith is limited when we don't understand how much he loves us. When we doubt the love of God, it hurts our faith. It's sort of like, if you're a parent, you understand this. And, and, and you, I used to hate when people would say, well, you won't understand until you're a parent. There's some things you won't understand until you're a parent. Flat out, just, just facts, okay? Your parents, when you were little, they, they, they'd spank you. I know we don't spank too much anymore. That's why the kids are going crazy. There's a lot of meat back here for a reason. But the parents used to say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I used to think that was the stupidest thing in all the world. I'm like, your butt ain't going to be the one that's on fire right now. My butt's going to be on fire right now. And then, then you have children. And you, and you understand that you hurt worse than they hurt. They don't even understand. They think it's them that's going through whatever they're going through. They don't understand that your heart is, is submerged into their heart. So you feel things even deeper than they feel things. Few them being evil, the Bible says, by comparison to God. Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your Father in heaven give good things to those that ask him? In other words, the heart of God, he's a greater father than any parent could ever be. And so we come to these places in our lives where we begin to doubt the love of God because we don't understand what fatherhood is. Part of the reason why we don't understand fatherhood is because we have such poor examples of it. And so we, we, don't, we don't understand what it, what it means to, to literally want to lay down your life for somebody which is what Jesus did. Greater love hath no man than this, but to lay down his life for his friends. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved us so much that God was willing to take the punishment for us. When you have a child, how many times have you wished, let me just switch places. Let me let them off the hook and I'll take it all. Give, give it to me. Give it to me. I, I want to handle it. Even if that means that this kills me, at least, at least they live. But yet when we interact with God, we think somehow, some way God loves us less than that. 
And, and what happens when we believe that God loves us less than that is our faith is hindered. We don't have this confidence, assurance that he's going to come through. Because the difference between an earthly father and our heavenly father is there are some things an earthly father can't do. They may want to, but they can't. They're limited. But there's nothing that our heavenly father can't do. Nothing's too hard for him. Everything is easy with him. All things are possible for him. And so if he loves me like he loves me, and he's not limited by anything except our faith, there's nothing he won't do for me. So the Bible tells us that faith works by love. What does it mean, works? It produces by love. And people have dumbed that down and said, well, if you just walk in love towards other people, your faith will work. And there is a moment or is there is a principle uh, that is true there that indeed as you walk out the faith walk towards other people, it does help your faith to operate. However, you're limiting what that means. What it really means is if you understand how much your father loves you, your faith will work in every situation. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, if you would just have understood how much I love you, you wouldn't have got fearful. And you would have known we're going to the other side. As you go through circumstances in life, don't ever doubt what God thinks about you and how God cares for you. Matter of fact, I have come to this conclusion that when I can't see or sense God, I have concluded that God has repositioned himself. Exodus, there's a story. It's about the children of Israel leaving Egypt and going to the promised land. And they got toward the Red Sea and they were trapped. They had the Egyptian army behind them, the Red Sea in front of them. And the whole time that they were going toward the Red Sea, the, the pillar of fire and the cloud of smoke was leading them. It was in front of them. But then when they got to the Red Sea, and this was two to four million people, scholars believe. So imagine like, you know, something's in front of you, you're first in the line, and then it relocates itself, let's say, to the back of the line. How many of you know what happens then is you lose sight of it? Listen to what the scripture says in relation to this about God repositioning himself. It says that as they were marching toward the Red Sea, that the cloud that was in front of them all of a sudden moved behind them. And the cloud that was in front of them became a darkness to the people behind them and a light to the people in front of them. God got in between the children of Israel and the attacking Egyptian army. So I've come to the conclusion that when I can't see God, it's not because God doesn't care. It's not because God has forgotten about me. But God has decided to move strategically behind me so that the enemy could not accomplish what he wanted in my life. We need to have enough faith in the love of God that we understand that God is always, 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 always looking out for our best interests our faith and the love of God but then lastly today if you're going to get to the other side you need to look forward to greater strength we've already seen that this storm was an attack of the enemy that it was it came at a, at a low point to try to catch Jesus when he was weak but yet Jesus was going to flip this around and use it in order to create strength in the disciples you say what do you mean pastor well, flip in your mind to the story of Peter for just a moment. Peter is having a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus says to Peter, 
Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. In other words, even before the storm, Jesus told Peter he was going to get to the other side. When you return to me, not if you return to me. When you return to me, strengthen your brethren. How many of you are grateful that when you're going through a storm, Jesus is prophesying over your life. He is interceding for you that you are going to make it to the other side. Notice what he says. Satan desires to sift you like wheat. Is that bad or good? Is sifting wheat bad or good? See, y'all like this because do you know it's actually good? The sifting process to get grain out of wheat happens like this. You, you take, you take the, the wheat and you lay it on the a threshing floor, a hard threshing floor, and then you beat it and 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 beat it. What was happening to the boat? The Bible said that the waves were beating against the ship. You beat it and beat it and beat it. And then what happens is after you beat it, you've, you've in essence separated the, the grain from the shaft. Now, in order to get them completely separated so that the grain can be usable, the next thing that you do is you take a handful of this stuff that has been beaten and you throw it into the air and the wind comes by and pushes all the shaft out of the way and the grain falls back to the ground. So go back to the ship now because we have waves that are beating into the ship and a wind that is blowing, y'all ain't getting this just yet, and a wind that is blowing against the ship. Against the ship. And so what? What was happening was Peter was going to go through something and Satan was going to try to take him out, but God was going to turn it around so that Peter could become more usable to God in the gospel. Every time you go through a storm, Satan is intending to take you out, but God is going to use whatever it is that you are going to to make you stronger for him. And so every time you go through a storm, you need to pin your shoulders back and you have to say and you have to prophetically declare I might be going through this but I'm getting stronger I might be beat down but I'm getting stronger I might be perplexed but I'm getting stronger I might have had a setback but I'm getting stronger this may not be what I wanted but I'm getting stronger this may have taken me by surprise but I'm getting stronger the devil must have meant to take me out I'm getting stronger The devil came to stop me from my assignment. I'm getting stronger. This is not going to have the last word. I'm getting stronger. I'm not going back. I'm going forward. I'm going to the other side. I'm getting stronger. You need to declare that over your life. I'm getting stronger. 